Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, coming back on the podcast for the second time, is Mr. Ollie Webb. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. I was having a dig back um, to see when we did our first podcast. And it was it was pretty much now. Was it? <laughs> but a <laughs> year ago. We were around and kicking. Um, yeah, just sort of, sort of the end of January, I think, um, before before we knew what was happening God, yeah with all of this yeah, stuff that's right in london yeah but yeah so can you just give the listeners a, a tiny little summary of sort of what you do or who you are and what you do um yes yeah, so main career is is motorsport racing um le mans racer um have been for quite a few years now um, and then on the side, commentary for for IndyCar with BT Sport and some other races, um, some stunt driving for films, um, and precision driver. So basically, anything that involves a car that I can get my hands on. The, I remember at the end of the last podcast, we basically wrapped up the podcast, and then you were, I was like, "Oh, what have you done this week?" And you were like, "Oh, I was doing some stunt driving." I was like, How? "What? I did not know <laughs> that you did some stunt driving." And I was like, "Well, this has definitely got to come up in the next podcast because." <laughs> I wanted to know all about it, and I'm sure the listeners will want to know a bit about it. So, yeah, like stunt driving and working on films and precision driving, I guess, all comes under one sort of banner, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a mix of it can be an advert for, for an example, let's say, where I've um, done something with brawn shavers and they're trying to compare how quickly you can change a shaver head to a pit stop and all of a sudden they're hiring <laughs> a driver to do a Formula 3 car, like, burnout and um anything from that to to a film like a mission impossible or a transformers or something like that and um it is fun and and it sounds maybe a little bit more glamorous than it is 90 percent of the time you're doing something quite mundane um <laughs> but obviously the one-off fun days where you are kind of jay turning down a set of stairs and crashing into the side of a wall then it, it's kind of exciting but um the, the thing i never realized when i got into the stunt driving stuff was uh, and ignorantly so is when you watch you assume the let's say two cars in a chase are the two stunt drivers but then you realize hang on a minute every single car in that scene has got to be a stunt driver so sometimes okay. you can just be driving a black cab at 20 mile an hour on the side <laughs> of the road. yeah that was something um, when we talked about it it was like i i hadn't thought about that at all in the slightest that you look at all of these scenes whether it's your james bond movie or whatever and you might have your sort of three main cars battling it out through the streets but then is literally every other car got someone like yourself in yeah i say there's a key for instance for the mission films we have let's say like a like a, a key group of on the on the really focused scenes of maybe six um and then on the bigger scenes maybe 20 but then yeah there is 
let's say when we've done a London bridge scene or something, there might be 50 drivers, some of which won't necessarily be stunt drivers, but they'll just be drivers who are insured to, to drive on, on yeah. set and do the scene. But for all intents and purposes, any car that comes near what we call the hero car, let's say Tom Cruise's car, and he's doing the driving, they have to be a precision driver in case he gets one of his turns wrong and he's about to crash into an expensive <laughs> car. They've got to suddenly move out the way and know when to cut. So it's... um. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting and it's amazing how many actual people you need and, and the time and effort that goes into it because of that. It must be mad, like, mad working on and part of a film, like, like a Mission Impossible film. Because how many people are involved in something like that? Like it's, it's, it's got to be like hundreds or something. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, and we just get kind of dropped in for the specific stunts that involve mm. cars because obviously yes, a lot of these action movies have car involvement and maybe James Bond is a little bit more focused so and always has been with its heritage. But Mission Impossible, really, when you look back at it, there's the odd car chase scene, but really it's not about cars, that film. It's more about missions. So it'll be planes and bikes sometimes. Yeah, there yeah, might only yeah. be a few car scenes. So we'll, we're dropped in into a, a storyline generally we're not told about because we can't know too much. Right in a scene where you only get told what's happening in that scene. Um, and for instance, I think Mission Impossible 6, the last one, we did a, a scene that was maybe 200 people, including actors and stunt personnel, which included two helicopters in the sky, closing down London Bridge at 4 p.m. on a Thursday. Wow. Um, which I, I still to this date don't understand why it had to be at such a peak time, <laughs> why it can't be like, I don't know, 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning yeah, where they yeah. can't incorporate it in. And that scene cost a lot of money and we had to do it three times. It never even went in the film. Oh, wow. So it just goes to show the, the, the amount of effort they put into every second that you see of a film like that. Yeah, it's so mad. And you compare that stuff to like what we see a lot of and you see a lot of it's like YouTubers nowadays just running around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pointing a camera at yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of the raw and to a point, I know it's edited, but there's the, there's the raw and the unedited YouTube-ish world. And then obviously there's the highly edited and highly scripted style of, um, of Hollywood. And then there's the point where it crosses over. So it's yeah. that the media, the media from both ends of the scale completely integrates now. I've always found it amazing, like how things ramp up massively with only a little bit of extra sort of requirements. So you have your person running around with a phone recording, that's step one. Then you might have a YouTuber type person that's got a, you know, an SLR or whatever. And then I remember getting asked just just a quote for a, a commercial photo shoot. So, and it was just like leveling it up. And they're like, oh, we'd quite like to have the clients on set. And then you want more gear and you want more screens. And then you just, you go from like you and the person you're taking a picture of and whatever the subject to like eight people. Yeah. And the budget just goes like 10 times, like just yeah. like, and there's pretty much zero perceivable difference between the output. It's just sometimes they want to do it properly slash more properly. Yeah. And then, and then you've just got like, you've got a burger van. You're like, why have we got a burger van? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what's crazy, isn't it? I mean, the, I don't get me wrong. I understand the quality difference and, and, and I see it, but the, it, for me that those lines are really blending now and, and mm. without, without naming any brands and, and like, like you're describing, you've been through the same thing without naming any brands. I've done some really high profile brand commercials that can maybe uh, like short clip commercials uh, for social rather than TV yeah. use that are very well done. And you wouldn't have an idea if it's a 50 man crew or a two man crew and, and they cost kind of like 
five to 10 K max. And then you go to like Hollywood uh, or, and for instance, that scene that didn't get put in that film, each take was 200 K per take, <laughs> and they didn't put it in the film and they did three takes and you think, and you watch the outcome of that because we got to see the final edit because yeah. it never went in the film, that particular part, although the other parts we did, did go in the film. We just asked to see it and we looked at it and we thought, I mean, that's amazing, but that's uh, 200K is a lot of money for that 20 seconds over yeah, that bridge. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it just, it just ramps up an insane amount when you get to those kind of films. It's mad. It's mad. And, but then you do look at them and I finally upgraded my 1080p TV to a 4K TV this Christmas. And you look at these things or in the cinema and you're like, okay, wow. Like I have a bit of an understanding of what went into making this scene. And that is absolutely mental. Yeah. I guess it's in a way it's like finding, it's just like formula one teams finding that last hundredth on the track. Finding the the first five seconds might cost you a couple of million, but it's another, it's another hundred million for the last 10th of a second. And that's kind of what it's like in film industry, I guess. Yeah. And annoyingly that's the one that counts. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly yeah have you got any sort of standout stunt driving moments that you can tell up tell us about there was one moment i can't say what film and what stunt director but there was okay. one film uh, where we only had one take to do it um and we're all in bog standard cars um it was a desert style scene um and just before we went to go for action they were saying on the radio oh and um by the way guys this is the first time we were told we only had one take at this we've only got one take at this so uh, no one stall everyone's in a manual <laughs> all of a sudden it's like all of us just forgot how to use a manual car uh, and someone stalled and they were fired on the spot which i thought was brutal it was the first time i was working with this particular stunt director but i felt really bad for that particular driver who's an amazing driver but all of a sudden your legs shaking because you're realizing yeah. the whole hollywood film on this scene is set on you not stalling this little like, <laughs> desert buggy type thing that stood out to me because that was one of the earlier ones i did what was one of the other ones probably having a coffee with chris hemsworth in the last men in black film that was pretty cool oh, yeah that's pretty um, cool waiting for some cars to be repaired that we crashed through london <laughs> But yeah, the, the the rest of them you're normally just with your stunt crew and kind of the the the, the talent get kept quite separate to us. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise does all his own stunts. Very approachable um, character on on the sets. I've not been on the last seven sets. I was meant to be in Rome for three months doing some stunt driving for the last Mission Possible three Seven. But unfortunately, that was just as it hit. So it was the third week of or second week of March last year. Yeah when we were all due to fly to Rome. The crew were already there, Tom was already there, and then the stunt drivers were about to come, and then they called it all off. Wow. It's now finished, so it's now finished. But unfortunately, I wasn't part of that one, because when it did restart, it was during Le Mans in the summer. Yeah, where you were there, but yeah, no was one else Mans, was there. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> How was it this year? It was much more competitive for our car, which was good um, in terms of, um, from the selfish side of things, how, how it was for us. We had a failure a rear wing failure at I don't know, 14 hours in or something in the middle of the night with my teammate with Bruno Spengler. Um, so that ended our race. So that was a bit unfortunate, but as a whole, it was very well organized. The fact that we were still able to do it, it was very, very strict. So there was no IndyCar style, you know, a few people allowed in this grandstand and a few mm. there, it was completely closed off almost the whole town effectively, but it was just amazing to be there. It was very strange. It felt like a, a super extended test week um normally we fly in the saturday the week before 
and there's all sorts that goes on before you even step in the car. Instead, we were flying in on a Wednesday and then we're in the car. They condensed all of the practice and qualifying sessions. So Thursday, 8 a.m. until Thursday midnight, we were basically in the car testing and qualifying, which meant yeah. by the time the race came, we were pretty screwed. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the race went ahead, but it just, it was strange. It was strange on the starting grid without any crowds in the, in the audience. Yeah, and I heard, I can't remember where I heard it, someone was talking about um, how just no, the normal Le Mans build-up has all this stuff going on before it starts, whereas this year there was just none of, like, none of that yeah, stuff. No driver's parade, no scrutineering in the town, no media day, um, no extra day of testing. That got cancelled as well. So yeah, it was, it was super, super strange. And so you were racing for Bicol. Bicolors, yeah. In LMP1. Yeah. When when a rear wing fails, where did it fail? Did it fail in a straight line? or Luckily, no, it failed in a corner, but it failed in a corner that's not too bad. So it failed on the Bugatti circuit before you go on to the, effectively the road course oh, style. Okay. So coming through the Dunlop chicane, so turns three and four, coming down the hill before you hang a left... So just as you're coming down that hill, it's about fourth gear, maybe 150 mile an hour. So it's still quick. Um, and it and it just broke in the middle as he was turning down that hill. And he went through the grass, through the gravel trap, and then just tapped the wall, but hard enough that it was it was repairable and it was repaired pretty quick. But the team manager made the right call because we as drivers sometimes make the wrong call, which is that we wanted to get back in. Yeah. Um, but because the rear wing was so badly hurt when we finally got it back from the the wall impact that is not being able to determine what the failure is means you, you stick another one on will it happen again yeah that was that's one corner away from tet rouge which is which is almost flat in an mp1 car and is more like 180 mile an hour apex speed yeah. and there's a wall right there and that's why that's where andre simonson passed away and a couple of other drivers have obviously had some bad accidents so we didn't want to go you know, go and risk it. No. And yeah, like you said, you ask the drivers, the drivers want to get in the car. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we make silly decisions. I think drivers are safer than they used to be back in the day. You know, we make better decisions now, whether it's people retiring at the right times when, when they've had a bad accident, like, like Dario had his bad accident in IndyCar and decided, you know, I've been extremely successful enough. I'll call it quits here taking doctor's suggestions, whether it's that to, you know, being in the middle of a race like we were then to just think, you know, if this happens at Porsche Curves or Tet Rouge, um, you know, we won't be so lucky. Mm. Uh, so yeah, best just to sit back and watch the rest of it. Have you found your mindset has changed because you've got a baby on the way? Um, yeah, yes, I think so. I mean, she's not here. She will be in a couple of days, but I think more so when she's actually here um right now i'm being a little bit more cautious with stuff i do but i think yeah until she's until she's maybe grown up and 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 self-sufficient then maybe (laughs) i'll start being riskier again but i guess i imagine it's one of those things you don't know you don't know until that moment yeah yeah exactly i mean i'm sure i will be and i'll definitely be around her extremely cautious will it affect the in the moment overtake decisions I'd like to say no. Hopefully that's not a reflection on me as a parent, but I don't think it will change how I will race. It might change a stunt driving job, for instance. It might change, yeah. hey, we need you to drive the car off the cliff this time. I might say no, um, but let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and I guess presumably with most of the racing you do is all endurance racing. 
Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, most of um, it, yeah. And finishing is significantly more important than like a split second like win over someone else. So I imagine that factors in like, because you want to finish the race. So yeah. Probably, I would imagine you're saying like, I'm trying to make really good decisions the entire time. Obviously you make some get closer yeah. than others. I think, yes. I mean, the on paper, it makes sense. Uh, and you'd think that would be how we race. And to a point it is, that is what endurance racing is, but much more so in the past when there was a bigger disparity between the cars and a bigger disparity between the percentage of cars that finish that didn't, you know, like yeah. less than half of the field used to finish. Now, you know, two cars DNF or something. So now you kind of have to qualify every lap for 24 hours to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to lunge every car, every corner for 24 hours within reason. So unfortunately, it's less of an effect in joint racing now than it, than it used to be. Let's see what the hypercar season brings, which is which is this year and moving onwards. If there's a huge disparity between the cars because of the new tech, it might be that you just have to cruise round for those 24 hours when, to make sure you finish. When are they first coming in? Is it this year or next year? This year. So Toyota will release their car in eight days. And then you've got Glickenhouse by Collez for this year with two cars. So that'll make it a five-car grid total for this year. And then the following year, you've got per- Peugeot, Audi and Porsche back. So you've got pretty much mm. everyone back. Do you know if you're racing it? Not yet. We're in talks. Okay. T- TBC. TBC, yeah, TBC. We're going to talk to a couple of teams. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully when Porsche, Audi and Peugeot, Audi, Porsche and Toyota are all back in, along with an extra couple of privateers and, and fingers crossed, you know, the likes of, you know, I like to see the Valkyrie hopefully join back in because they were mm. planning on doing it. If they can do it and then McLaren do it, all of a sudden you've got this golden age back again, like the GT1 era. And I think that'd, that'd be, be great. so cool. How do you think the cars are going to compare versus like current LMP1? So it's a double-edged sword. It's a bit like what's going to happen in Formula 1 in 2022. So it will bring the golden era back. You'll have visually cars that look like hypercars on the road. So you'll have these Senna GTRs, these Valkyries, this Toyota hypercar, and you'll be able to look at it as a kid growing up who loves motorsport and have it as a poster car and say, I want that one day, like a McLaren F1 or a Porsche GT1 that you used to see, which is great. The downside of that is is the road legality side and the parameters around the bodywork mean that the car will be way slower than an LMP1 car, which means in our lifetime, we'll probably never see a Le Mans lap time like we did the last okay. two, three years. Same like Formula One. Pro- uh, less so in our lifetime in Formula One because Formula One have so much money that they might, even with the restrictions, get back to a good lap time in the next 10, 15 years, but certainly not for a while. But for LMP1 to hypercar, you're looking at around about 10 seconds a lap slower. Um, That's quite a lot. In the cars, which means the LMP2s are going to have to be slowed down as well because they're if the LMP2s stay the same, they'll be quicker than a hypercar, which makes obviously no sense. <laughs> I don't, do you think the cars becoming slower is necessarily a bad thing? I, I quite like the top class just being ridiculous. But Yeah. I like how I love, I'm, I'm a bit of an engineering geek. So I love the engineering behind just making something as quick as physically possible. So I will miss that. But mm. I think for the sport and for the audience and even for us as drivers, you know, to, to, to like cool cars, they did need to come back more towards a normal looking car because, you know, you look at a Toyota hypercar now and, and, you know, you think, well, why, you know, it's, I'm not going to look at that and buy a Yaris. It's, yeah. I don't, 
it doesn't really correlate. I'm surprised they keep spending the amount they do in there. But whereas if they're now making a hypercar and that relates to their success on the track, just like the 918 sales, um, you know, Porsche are lucky that the 918 looks a bit like a LMP1 spaceship, but, um, you know, it doesn't sell road cars in the same way. And it also doesn't attract people in the same way because, you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate road to race. Yeah. And I think you look at someone like Toyota, like they clearly love racing. Yeah. But like you said, their road cars do not translate across that. Even if they make a hypercar, it's like, yeah, okay, they've made one car that's like yeah. some stupid amount of money. This, the rest are not all mad sports cars. But um, yeah, it's, it's... And something like the 918, I don't know whether that made it. I'm sure they didn't make any money out of that. But it was just a big R&D. Yeah, yeah. I think where the car that they will make the money out of will probably be when they do come back in in two years to WEC because it will be very similar to the one on on track and they have to make a minimum number much like they did with the Ford GT for them yeah. to come back with the GT car. And you see, that's cool. You see Ford probably did it the best because it was an attractive road car. It wasn't insanely, insanely expensive. Um, it was still rare. It was still, um, you know, very desirable and it looked almost identical to the GT car, which won at Le Mans. So that's yeah. like a perfect story for them. Yeah. That was such a good crossover. And I think massively everyone loved it whether you like the actual car, the whole thing was very cool. Yeah, just, yeah. Just a mad, mad thing. And I guess we, we seem to be going through this phase of people, and I guess it is endless, dropping out, coming back, dropping out, yeah. coming back. Because the comeback is always better than just staying and winning. Yeah, and I think for, for obviously you've got the whole VW scandal with emissions and everything, why Porsche and Audi have to leave, they're part of the same group. But on top of that, Porsche look at the GT class, they're winning the GT class, they won LMP1 for three years in a row, that's not selling them any road cars because it doesn't look like a road car, whereas this amazing RSR looks like almost every Porsche that yeah. you bring out on the road now, they look similar to that. And it's more attractive to most kind of real car nuts. Um, you know, you buy a Porsche GT2 RS because it looks like the RSR, not because it looks like a 919 hybrid. So they'd won three years in a row in the top class. It was costing them 250 million plus a year. You think, why not save a bit of money, pay off this scandal debt that they owe, um, and then come back in again, you know, without this VW gate. Yeah. And, and they've capped. Have they tried, have they tried to cap spending? Yes. So spending is capped. Um, I'm not can't remember the figure off the top of my head because it doesn't really apply to privateer teams, so I don't really pay too much attention. It's quite to a lot less, isn't it? It's it's, it's like quite a lot less. Um, it, it, it's ten times you know, less, a million plus at le- less, but yeah. um, it will still be triple privateers yeah. probably. Yeah, but then the manufacturers aren't they big dogs? Yeah, exactly. It's what's <laughs> what's going to happen. But I, I'm glad to see it, and I am excited. It, it, it was a bit of a mess at first when they said what they were going to do, but now it, you know, it's very exciting that the big manufacturers are coming back in. Yeah, it's cool. I love, uh, I love it. It's, I, I spe- specifically love the GT cars because of yeah. how similar they look to the road cars. But and I think with this new category, either the cars that are already out that they're going to look like, or the new ones coming out that will be the ro- ro- road version of these cars, it's just, it's just a very cool thing. And then you get, to, we'll get to see them out. People will drive yeah. them. People will take them on track and whatever and get lapped by some race car. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you've, and you've got the purest form of category back. Cause like, like you, I think you've, even I, when I get out, get out of a stint of the LMP one car, the first category I look at is GT pro. Yeah. It's my favorite category. The cars are the coolest cars. And every single driver from the top to the bottom of the field 
is a paid pro who's a very successful, well-accomplished driver, and they're fighting like hell. Um, that obviously happens in LMP1, but the difference with the cars makes it not an exciting fight. So you've yeah. got these exciting names like Alonso and Bohemi and all that, but if they're just cruising around, then you pay less attention. Now, hopefully, we'll have the cool cars back with the cool names and it'll all come together. Yeah. Is there going to be a, like a balance of performance or is it just a regulations and, and run with it? Um, there is a balance of performance, yeah. I mean, there also is an LMP1, um, but you know, R&D basically always finds a way to make the most of those rules and that's where the difference will be. Um, you know, and having having weight in the right place, you know, you, you can have two cars that weigh the same, but if the weight is all on the floor in the right car because they've done the right R&D, then you can save a lot of lap time there. Um, and in the hybrid, you know, originally it was every car had to be a hybrid. And then when the privateers just said, look, we just can't afford to make it hybrid, yeah. you can now choose. So, of course, technically it's a choice, but, you know, by colors, Gluckenhaus and all the other privateers that will choose to come in. They don't want to not be hybrid. They just don't want to spend triple their budget because hybrid is a very expensive system to master. Yeah. And is it, I guess by nature, it's heavier? Yeah, it is heavier. But in saying that, it just goes to show how how good Toyota are at making their car. I mean, their car, their car had to have weight ballast put in because it was made underweight, even with a hybrid, compared to Rebellion and Bicolas' and Janetta's car. Yeah. We, all three of us were over the weight, minimum weight, and Toyota were under it and had to put ballast in the car, even with a hybrid system. Yeah, I guess that's what your 250 million a year does. <laughs> yeah, you know, make a carbon tub that's an extra five kilograms lighter and a wing mirror that's yeah. 100 grams lighter, and it which all adds up. All adds up. And then were, those the, were the hybrids the only cars, actually, I don't know, were they four-wheel drive, or were some four-wheel drive and some not? Some four-wheel drive and some not. So effectively, any car that is hybrid is four-wheel drive. Okay. So the Toyotas were four-wheel drive, but the Janettas, Rebellions, um, and Bicolas' weren't. They were all rear-wheel drive. And did that affect, that sort of affects kind of like, obviously, how they go around the track? But Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's driven in a very, very different way. The Rebellion is probably the favourite of any LMP1 car that's, I think, I'd safe to say ever been made for a driver because you drive a rebellion like you're qualifying every lap flat out the corner. There's no fuel saving. There's no conserving of power. You just absolutely rag it. And the rebellion was quicker than the Toyota with a budget of about 10% of Toyota on raw pace, pretty much everywhere, especially on downforce and efficiency because it's an Orica made chassis. Um, but the only place really where it loses is when you then put it in a race situation outside of a qualifying situation. And then all of a sudden, if the Toyota catches up a GT car coming into a corner, it'll simply lift off and the computer will automatically save that amount of power, break by wire, save all of the heat, turn it into power, save it for the front wheel. So when you floor it out of the corner, everything you've lost on the way in, you can gain on the way out. Whereas in the rebellion, everything you lost on the way in, you never get back. Yeah. Um, and that also helps in the wet. The Toyota can f- go to full power out of the corner and just let the four wheels independently pull yeah. you out. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 all very cool. What else did racing did you do? Did you any, do any other racing this? this last uh, year? We did Spa, Silverstone, and Le Mans. Um, did I do any rally cross last year? I think most of it got cancelled, so I don't think I did any rally cross. I did some Euro NASCAR testing, which was a bit of fun because um, I was going to be doing that championship mm. on the side. Um, but their calendar obviously got all mixed up with everything with COVID. 
so I think race wise, that was it. I did a I did a classic race. Um, what did you race in, SW, in, in an SWB, uh, Silverstone, which was really cool. Nine eleven. Was that a green one? Yeah. Oh, I've I've, I've recently met this guy. No. Oh, have you? Oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I and mean, hung out. This is a, someone that Ollie knows, and I've met recently who has a few cool cars. Very cool. Started doing yeah, some we did racing. some testing the week of. I think it was a seven fifty motor club race. I think he had his XJ there as well. Him and two mates shared the car on the weekend after some of the testing. And then the plan is to do some Peter Auto events, which are some very cool events, which I know you know about. Um, you know, if this lockdown opens up, then we can go and do some cool uh, some cool endurance racing and some cool other cars. He's got a BMW GT2. I think it was GT2 back in its day, which yeah. is a cool standing car. It's like a GT2 M3 or something. Yeah, I think, GTR so it's an M3 GTR, which I think raced in a GT2 class. But that thing's mega with the sequential box and everything. Really cool. Yeah, a couple of couple of cool cool things. What else have you done? Any other fun track based things? Obviously, you <sighs> probably doing a lot of instruction. I've seen you at Silverstone every now. Yeah, and Yeah, a lot of instruction. Like um, what other track based stuff? My memory goes terrible. <laughs> I can't even blame it on being too busy this year because I definitely wasn't as busy as normal this year. I think other than track days and a couple of filming days um, for film stuff, um, it's been those main three races. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's what, not. What's other... your what's your daily at the moment? You still got the Aston? No, the so the Aston went two months ago. Um, so now I've got an M8 Comp Coupe. Okay. And I've got the Audi S4, my, my estate I've had forever. Oh, right, yeah. Um, but I'm going to swap the Audi to like a 4x4 more family car. Mm. The M8 is definitely not a family car. It's big enough <laughs> to be one, but it isn't one. <laughs> is that a BRDC deal? Yes, yeah. They do very competitive rates, I've I've heard. for. Yeah, exactly, very cars. competitive rates. And I, I, I would, I mean, I love the car and I would love to buy one outright, but there's just nowhere to be able to spend that money on 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 an m8 it's a very expensive car right but we get a great leasing deal and yeah i've got it for for as long as i can keep paying the monthly so uh <laughs> it's a good good car to have for for the money that's for sure so yeah with having the vantage as well and the audi they're all quite similar in the sense that they're all sports car e but not super car e you know i was like yeah. i can't just have these three or four cars um lying around so got rid of the aston the audi will go as well and then i'll have a kind of four by four family car, whatever, like a McCann GTS or something or yeah. a Range Rover or something, and then keep that with the, with the BMW. I, I wish I went for the X5 comp actually, because that is, it was the same price as the, yeah. the M8 comp, but way better for what I need for the next year. <laughs> M8 is great fun, but it's, it's good at everything and great at nothing. Yeah. Okay. I get you. Like it's not an amazing sports car, but it's still yeah. quite like, Sounds good, comfy. Yeah, I'd say it would be an amazing car for fifty to sixty k. Yeah, not <laughs> which it will be at some point. Which it will be about three seconds after I got it. So <laughs> to be honest, the secondhand market for those is going to be amazing. So anyone looking to get a secondhand M8 Comp, great car. Don't get me wrong. Um, just brand new. You know, when you're looking at six figures for a car like that, it's quite a lot of money. It is. It is crazy. I think a lot. A lot of people at the moment. I've definitely have it where we've been stuck at home for ages, not really allowed to go anywhere. And I, I sit here and I look at all these sports cars. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get to use them. I'm paying insurance, yeah. <laughs> paying everything. Like, and then also, I, I realized at one point 
a while ago that all all the cars were very similar, like different, you know, yeah. different enough to say that, but they were all like driver's cars in inverted commas, like designed for an experience. And I was like, yeah, but day to day, I actually want something comfy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that. that is kind of why I've had the Audi for five years now. Yeah. And, and I'm finding it very hard to let go of because you can actually fit two humans in the back, which you can't in the BM. Yeah. You, the boot is, I'd say, genuinely hand on heart, I can physically fit more things in than the back of a Range Rover. Because every time I've used the Range Rover to move house or move mm. stuff around, I can fit pretty much more in my Audi with the back seats down. There's just estate cars are so good. And that's why I love those cars. So when the M8 comp came, I was like, oh my God, that looks amazing. That is awesome. I can't wait to drift that. And then I got in it and I was like, doesn't really do anything else though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Burns a lot of rubber. I have an yeah. S4. That is my daily right, S4 yeah. event. And I keep looking at other stuff and then I keep coming back. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's pretty damn good. It does yeah, the stuff. Yeah. And the amount of times I've put the back seats down and filled it full of whatever, tons of stuff. Yeah. And you go, like, oh, I look at loads of cars. Like there's loads of cars I love. Like, uh, although I don't know whether for daily purposes, I'm ever going to go that level again. But like an M5, I love the M5, yeah. but I hate the boot style. Like, yeah. I want a touring shape now for chucking stuff in. And there's just so many, there's so many really cool cars that don't have that shape. Like I loved, I had my M2. I love the M2, but it doesn't have that shape. I'd love an M3. It doesn't have that. You you just yeah. can't use it yeah. to put stuff in the back. Yeah, the S4 event is amazing for that. And and, and that's just why I love, love mine so much. Maybe I'll just wrap it instead of sell it, wrap it a different color and be like, oh, I've got a new car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, one of the things you've done in the last year is you've driven very quickly at an Not unknown quick enough. speed. <laughs> That's probably the most exciting thing I've done this year, to be fair. When you said on-track stuff, I was like, does that count as on-track stuff? Not really. So you were behind the wheel of the SSC Tuatara. Is that how you said? Yeah. In, when was that? November? Um, or actually, when was the run? It was probably actually more like October, because when it released, it was actually three weeks before that. Let me yeah. have a look now. October, probably, yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah, October, November, around there. I'm trying to find the pictures from it. Yeah, yeah. Over in the States, in a yeah. very quick, high-horsepower, American-made vehicle. Yeah, I'd never seen it, actually, before I got there. I was lucky to get there, actually, because it was, if it wasn't for Nyla, my fiance having, well, wife now, we technically had to get married on paper for several reasons for visa and for work and yeah. blah, blah, blah. um if we hadn't literally been married they wouldn't have let me go over were they not no so i was she was coming along anyway for for, for holiday um and i got to the check-in desk at heathrow and i was like oh here are my work papers but i'd rather like what do you mean what you, you can't go and i was like <laughs> you know the disparity in the rules at this point was so yeah. mixed and even i'm manchester based even calling heathrow ahead of time at ba saying this is what i have on me can I fly with this? They said, we're not sure. You'll have to ask at the check-in desk. We're not allowed to give advice over the phone. I'm like, well, if you can't give me advice over the phone, who's going to give me the advice? Yeah. And then we got there and then they're like, no, this doesn't work. You you can't go there unless you're seeing family. Um, and then she's like, is that your girlfriend? Or she's like, she's my wife. Um, does she have family there? I was like, no, but she's American. She's like, oh, that's fine then. Wow. Yeah, so I was lucky she was stood next to me. If she yeah, was like yeah, parking yeah. the car, I would have been like, turn around, we've got to go. Yeah, we've got to go back. 
Yeah. It's, it's brutal, some of the changes. Like turning up in the airport and unknown. Yeah, but, can you um, believe it? BA couldn't tell me, government website couldn't tell me. There's no, no. anyway, that was the that was the first drama of the trip. <laughs> okay, so tell tell the audience what happened from your point of view. So I met um the guys from SSC, I think earlier in 2020 or maybe even end of 19 actually so quite a while ago we were in talks for a long time i knew they wanted to do this run um i'd never seen the car before i hadn't actually even met the owner or anyone to do with the company originally um i was originally put forward through from the production company funny enough through some of my stunt driving work and they said hey we've got this guy we know you want a semi-well-known name um who's also stunt driver who's good at high speed stuff I'd obviously do, done a few of the Koenigsegg runs before, um, just on a smaller scale, um, you know, like VMAX style, 230, yeah. 240 mile an hour style stuff. That's but still Koenigsegg press, still pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but that was on big runways, which is, I'll get to being the biggest difference. So my name got put forward, you know, and it was great to be chosen. I was up against some great names, like kind of the Jimmy Johnsons of the world for anyone who knows racing over in America and other like some names that I'd say were a lot bigger than me, but maybe were a probably harder to get you know with a with a bigger bill probably yeah and you know they had families and maybe saw a bit more risk whereas i was a bit like fuck it let's do it <laughs> um so yeah then i met the team went over there the first time i saw the car was was the week of the record attempt and yeah it was on the same road that koenigsegg had been on big big production like pr- at the hollywood level style production you know yeah. they had jets in the air and helicopters <laughs> even during testing and everything and and i thought originally it was being filmed as a documentary but they're like no yeah. we're making this like a film film oh, so okay. um that was cool and it was exciting and you know from the word go this car was quick super super quick um we were testing only on runways though up until the actual point where we were allowed to close the road yeah. and then yeah then we closed the road that that famous morning and then did the record attempt that that wasn't unfortunately meant to be it was a speed that didn't seem correct and and now they're having to to redo it i'm obviously leaving gaps in between because i know you want to ask questions i don't want to kind of speak too much about it because i could go (laughs) on and on and on about it no it's it's it was it was a really interesting story to see from this side and of and i think a lot of people thought like the people the naysayers yeah let's just say call it a collection of people like know you yeah yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. like tim tim knows yeah. you you know tim and yeah, i yeah. believe he got in touch with you before any of the the stuff yeah um and i guess for you you get in the car you drive the car as fast as you can yeah and then you get told you've broken a record which must be pretty cool that must have felt very cool at the time that was really cool at the time. Yeah, it was very cool at the time. And and I think my kind of to talk you through my suspicions and my worry during kind of the week of, of doing that. Um, this is actually the first interview I've done about it since, you know, so oh, here we go. Not that, it's, not that it's that half the press and you're going to get a billion more subscribers, because <laughs> of it, but it's the first time I've spoken about it. Um, but my, during the week we had no, no references other than, we had a, um, I can't remember what's it, well, what's it called now. A f- not V-Box, but a form of V-Box. I can't remember the name now. Yeah. Um, Duotron, that was it. So yeah. we had a Duotron box on board. 
um, and a, another GPS um, reader in the middle of the screen, and then the GPS reader, which is based in the car. Um, and all three of those were in sync during my first testing times. And when I say in sync, they're in sync with each other, but you know, for uh, I don't know which one of those is right. Which isn't. Yeah. And when you're on a runway, we were only managing to get up to speeds of about 200 to 210 on okay. the first runway until we found a longer one. And at about 200 mile an hour on like an eight lane, no white line desert mm. plane, it was, it felt, it felt that quick. And it was, it, it didn't feel crazy. It didn't feel slow. The only thing I've got to go on is my screen. And then the guys from the computer go, here's the telemetry, here's the data, here you go. This is the speed we're doing. There's a three mile an hour difference between screen and this. And as a drive and at that speed or at pretty much any speed between there and under, you go, okay, cool. Yeah. Then you go to a bigger runway and then we got to around 250 mile an hour. And that's when I first was like, okay, oh, we've done 250. And I was like, oh, that, it didn't feel amazingly quicker than the last run it felt a bit quicker it didn't feel yeah. that much quicker but i was excited at that point i was like okay great like this feels very doable we only need to do 278 to break the yeah. world record they were obsessed with getting 300 but i was just like you know i just want to yeah let's beat the record get the world record cash my check go home have a baby um <laughs> come so back next that year point, for 300 <laughs> <laughs> exactly so i was like great i've only got like 30 mile an hour left to go. Um, I can do this. Um, obviously during this whole time, of course, I'm scouting the road, you know, eat, eat living and breathing that road going to it day and night. Um, and it's a problem. It's a dangerous road to do this record on. I'm very surprised it gets used that often. You know, it's like the highway to do it on now. Um, there's two huge ditches either side. It's not completely flat. Um, okay. So, you know, an airport runway would be much, much better. And there are runways out there that are long enough to achieve that. I know it seems crazy, but there are these NASA shuttle-style runways that are long enough to achieve. Oh, really? There was one used in a, I can't remember which Michelin Impossible film. They were driving down yeah. it for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that Cape Canaveral in Florida, I think it was. Yeah, that's super, super long. I think it's three and a half miles long runway. So yeah, when I got to the road, that's the first time I was properly nervous. When I did the first run, I was like, okay, this feels twice as quick as being on the runway. Yeah. It's really quick now because now I have white lines. Now I have a ditch each side. And now if the wind moves the car, I, I, I don't just have to go, oh, whatever. I'll just bring it back into the middle later on. Now if it moves the car, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going into a ditch. Yeah. Um, so that's when it starts to feel quick. But still, you know, when I did hear the final speed you know I, I they come in they're like oh you've done it i'm like what really i was like but of course your first reaction yeah. I, I was my first reaction was doubt like that seems too good to be true but then from that point it was just you know total yeah. totally relieved like thank god we've done it it felt fast as fuck so great that's great that it's over never been quicker than 240 mile an hour. So it, it, whatever the speed ends up being in calculation terms, whether it's Tim's 250 or 280 or 220 or whatever it is, around about that 250 middle mark, it's hard to really feel, I think, in a road car. Um, and that's where the struggle came. When I first saw a video and started speaking to Tim, I'm like, yeah, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up. The maths just don't add up. And I was the first person to 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 speak to Tim and, and agree with Tim to be like, you know, anything you need, I want to help you with to find out what's going on. Yeah. 
dear, that must that that whole bit. I remember it coming up. I remember Tim. I think before he posted the video, or he might have posted the video and was like, "Just watch the video." Like I've made it. I've tried to make it as clear as possible in the shortest amount of time and way. And you watch the video, and I was like, "Yeah, I, yeah, like, makes sense." I don't see any discrepancies here. All of the things you say make sense. Yeah, they need to be explained or whatever. And and then there was this massive backlash from not ignoring the manufacturer, like no one knows yeah what was on but they everything they've done since hopefully they'll go and do it but oh the press the press in the uk in america just was it like, that bad in the uk because I, I know there was a couple of whether it was motor trend or a couple of others that, that lashed out but i don't know maybe you're about to tell me some more but i no, thought overall a- what was surprising is is you and me know tim and other people do and even if you don't know tim the facts were there and even the person who wants it to be true the most or maybe second the most because i don't sell yeah. the car would probably be me yeah and even i was like yeah that makes sense it can't be right yeah and that was it and it, yeah i think it was a couple of the like motor trends calling out and everyone was just being like oh you stupid dumb youtuber people and you're like what what like just look at the things you said and yeah. say how they're stupid because that's physics and maths yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and you can't and, and explain it away and when the first kind of suspicion came out, well, not suspicion, the first the first numbers and mathematical mm. data came out of, look, this is point A, this is point B, this is how long it takes you. At that point, I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is crap. This is really bad. I feel really bad for SSC. What a crappy mistake. But then when there was more and more and more defense behind, no, no, it's definitely right. That's when it got really unfortunate because it was just like, I just wish at that point, regardless of going back in time now, because I still genuinely don't know if it was a mistake or on purpose. And that's obviously a huge allegation if anyone wants to say it's on purpose. But mistake or not, they are a clever bunch of people to make a car that can go that quick. There should have been some hands held up very, very quickly to say, what? I'm kind of even tripping over myself because because and I've been through it in my mind so many times mm. that you know why would you even use the if if it was on purpose why would you use the same road because of course it's going to come out like you someone's yeah. going to calculate and play the video <laughs> side by side even if it's going to be for like the, a news channel well so then I was like oh it must be a mistake like it okay fair enough well, I've established in my hat in my head that's not the right speed so it must have been a calculation mistake in the speed or in the somewhere yeah somewhere and that at least gave me a bit of peace of mind but the longer it went on the more and more i wanted to separate myself from it and um yeah it was just it was just really disappointing to go from a high of having a world record related to the field that you're in speed whatever that is to being associated to something that's got a lot of controversy and especially when you've risked your life with a pregnant wife to do it and then not have achieved it and by whatever 20 to 50 mile an hour difference is really annoying yeah and i i felt so sorry for you after all that like because you clearly like emotionally doing that run looked like it was pretty damn stressful and like you were very glad it was over at the end yeah yeah and i but, i mean that's part of it isn't it when someone say said you know that's done you know we, we've done it um you know the first 300 mile an hour mark was the run before and I think it was like 301 or something, which was on the screen yeah. in front of me and 316 or something on this Duotron box. And even that was when I had the bit of wind. And that's when I said to everyone, like, one more run, that's it. 
Like yeah. I'll try my best to get a three hundred mile an hour average because the the run on the way back that we had to do within a twenty minute window was the good run. So I was like, I'm happy to do one more, but I'm not going back the other way. Yeah, because I'm I was close last time to something going wrong, so I'm not going back the other way. And the tires at this point have done some high speed cycles, so you know the the, the thread inside the tire, even if it is only two hundred fifty mile an hour, will be starting to separate. Um, so that played on my mind as well. You know, does the famous kind of saying of this is the last run mean, you know, let's turn up the numbers type thing. Who knows? I I have no idea to this day. I wish I did. I, even when it started to come out, I had no communication, which disappointed me with with the company. Yeah. It's a shame. That was the, I think that was the, like you said, we're really just a disappointing thing off the back of it was this resolute, like, no, you're wrong. It was right. Yeah. And, that just didn't i understand it and i know they've had they had a lot of there's a lot of financial stuff going on around having the car that's the fastest in the world i'm sure they sold a lot of cars off the back of it i think the price went up in the middle all of these (laughs) things but to just resolutely stick your line in the sand and say no like you're wrong this is correct and then to keep putting out crap that was the, the the stuff that was published after that point was all just kind of waffly rubbish and they're like well when we've got the video then we'll post a video and everyone i feel like anyone is just like yeah but pixar it didn't happen like just post the video if you had the video they yeah. would have posted the video yeah yeah and, and it was super frustrating because because i'm i mean i mean you, you know me well enough that i don't really talk badly about anyone if i've got something bad to say about someone i just don't deal with those people and that's that so yeah. i was i was in a sticky situation where i was like i got along with the people who were there on the days i appreciated the car for what it can for what it can do you know it's 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 a quick quick car um and i didn't want to suddenly just turn face that's why i kind of stayed off being online for about a week or so is i didn't want to turn face and be like yeah i agree this is completely wrong so yeah it was just really tough because you know you you want to say so much to defend yourself but in in the end it was very much just like you know i'm just as disappointed as everyone else if not more so yeah and and at the end of the day like you're the driver, you you just you got in the car, you drove it very fast. We know it's it's an unbelievably fast car. It probably can go really damn fast. Yeah, but it's just the, the circumstances and whatever. Yeah, just didn't yeah. work out. Yeah, and, and and I got it. I was you know I tried to stay as impartial as I could. Obviously, spoke to Tim, um, spoke to uh, spoke to my friend who who owns Race Logic, who owns V Box. Mm. We were on the phone for. For, for many hours engineering explain friends online loads of people i spoke yeah. to as many people as i could um who i trust and, and and have good sources and are intelligent and better engineers than than i am you know and the more i found out from them the more worrying it was for me from from my side but yeah like you said what what what's the biggest shame is is that car's quick and it's really quick yeah 316 okay that's who knows we, we, we'll never know but 280 or sorry, 278 mile an hour for the world record, I can stick my neck on the line and say that, that car can definitely do 278 mile an hour. You know, drive. I guess what the best reference was, and com- completely by coincidence, was two weeks later I drove Zach's Regera yeah. at 200. What did we do? 404 kilometers an hour. I can't remember what it was. 241 mile an hour was it? Oh no. Oh sorry, 250 mile an hour was it? 
between 240 and 250. I'm yeah, so I became sure. the new VMAX car and, and, and did, I think it was 249 or something like that. Yeah. And, I, and, and I did those runs and I was like, yeah, this feels slower than the Tuatara. So I was like, yeah. okay. And in my back of my mind, while everything was going on, I was like, um, actually, no, I think it was just before everything was going on. But when I referred back to that in my mind, it just, my mind was playing tricks on me. So I was like, but the Regera felt slower. But then the Regera was on a huge wide runway. Yeah, yeah. And the Chiwetara was on that tight runway. So yeah, it was just so weird. It was like, you know, you, you, I was very, very lucky that everything I've done in the past in my career kind of went for me. I have good friends. I have good faith in people. So, you know, 0.1% of of my uh, reaction online was was negative. I was very lucky that, that 99.9% of it was just complete support. And for the tiny bits that were negative, it was kind of along the lines of, and you know what you'd expect. The comments are, you know, your racing driver shouldn't be able to feel the difference between <laughs> two fifty and three hundred. And I think before I did the high speed run, I'd probably say yes, you should. But I think it was the disparity in a week's worth of testing yeah. with a gas reference that is already wrong on three different runways to then a road to then a car, which is then turned up to a completely different boost level and then back into a Regera and then on a wider runway again. And when you're just going straight and you're looking half a mile ahead in the distance and not to the sides, it's just very, very hard to, to feel those differences. You know, at Le Mans, when you're passing a GT car at 230 mile an hour, or 210 mile an hour, whatever you're doing, and they're doing 20 mile an hour less, you know that reference from years of experience of how quickly you pass them. If you yeah. shot past them, you'd be like, my car's going 50 mile an hour quicker than normal. You'd yeah. be able to feel it then. But when there's no references, it was just very strange. And that really annoyed me that I couldn't give a genuine reply of, you know, yes, a driver should know that or no, they yeah, shouldn't. Yeah. And it's like anyone, anyone knows that when you drive it, you could drive at 70 miles an hour down a motorway, feels like you're going 30 or drive 70 miles an hour down a small single lane track road yeah, exactly. and you're like, well one of them feels significantly faster than the other yeah but even at sort of so at those speeds an unknown speed but very very fast to say yeah. 250 260 we don't don't really know um do you start feeling other stuff from the car like the the forces from the wheels spinning that fast and things like that um so yes yeah, so the tire pressures are very very high so you run close to 50 psi in the tires um to keep uh, and for those who don't know you know what kind of psi you have in your tires it, it's about 40 percent more than normal yeah. um and about double what you'd have on a track um so very very high just to keep the bead on the rim michelin weren't there in person because you know they don't rate their tires at that speed so yeah. obviously it's just a lawsuit waiting to happen if anything goes wrong if if you know if i crashed and died then it's just too risky for them yeah. so they kind of just like they will do with with any high speed runs from now on They'll just say, and they weren't there for Koenigsegg. They'll just say, "We're not part yeah. of this." So the forces you feel through the tire, really in a straight line, not much. But when you catch the wind, it's mainly the aero force. So you run the car with as least drag as possible. But of course, you have a high profile on each side. You have a yeah. high surface area, sorry, profile on each side. And because we have crosswinds on that road rather than tailwinds, which is really frustrating it means that, you know, the car starts to waver, like when you see trucks that aren't allowed to go over bridges in windy seasons in, in the UK or in Scotland. Much like that, at that speed, you become a billboard for wind. Um, and it's the lightness of the wheel on the front. Everything has to be in slow motion, even though you're being going quite, quite a lot quicker. So it's weird to say slow motion, but 
your reactions on your hands have to be very delicate because if you over correct the wind and then you go into the pocket where the wind is then dissipated, you'll then turn in towards that dish, ditch. You'll go from correcting to overcorrecting. So you go from a track where this is overcorrecting to this is overcorrecting. So it's a very different sense. Um, accelerating wasn't much of an issue because we had all the time in the world to do it, but the decelerating was my enemy. I just didn't like it. It was that car had no TC, no traction, con- uh, sorry, no, um, no ABS, had no traction control either, but that's not an issue at that speed. Had no ABS, there was no slamming on the brakes, not that you would anyway. It was a very slow, slowing down procedure. So you had to stay, let's say the speed was 250, uh, to slow down between 250 and 200 over a long time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So, you know, you, you just want it to end at that point yeah, when yeah. you've done it. So I see 301 on the dash. I'm like, great, start to slow down. And then like five seconds later, I'm still doing 270. I'm like, oh my God, I need to slow down even more. But you've just got to progress off the progress off that throttle pedal so slowly to keep the pitch in the car as flat as possible. Um, in terms of car setup, you stiffen up the third elements in the car to keep the platform stable at those speeds. You do a few wing adjustments, but, but other than that, it's not rocket science. It's just takes a, a stupid or a brave person who knows what they're doing. <laughs> and you got in and you went very fast. Would yeah, you, I got in and went quick. Would you do another high speed run? If I wasn't in, having in a, gig, a car. Yeah, in that car or any car? In a car. In a car? Yes. And, and without a kid, definitely. Yes. It might be, it might be a slightly different answer when she arrives. Cause it's, they're quite risky at the speeds we're doing now. You know, we're doing 210 mile an hour plus in, in Le Mans cars every single year. So, so that side, but you've got tons of downforce on the car and the car can, can kind of stop and change direction at that speed as well, which is what a road car cannot do. Yeah. You know, the tires can explode at any minute at that speed. If something goes wrong, you can't decide to brake. Like if, if anything went wrong at the peak speed, that is it. You can't roll off into that ditch and survive. You know, it's not possible. You know, it, it, you know, a fellow Brit had passed away five days earlier before the record attempting yeah. a similar, well, no, not similar record, attempting the same land speed record in a road legal car that, that, that we had done. So that put a lot of, um, not fear, but cautiousness into my mind that, you know, there's less on me to get this done than there is them. They want to sell yeah. cars. Their livelihood depends on it. This guy, the guy filming it, the guy's invested the money into the production. Mm. But for me, it's just like, if I'm not going to, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. And uh, for an autobiography, maybe in the future, if I ever become a uh, <laughs> WEC champion, there's a lot more I'll say to what happened during that week that, 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 that did get on my nerves from a production side. It was, it was very tough. It was like being involved in something that's as important as a big race like Le Mans, but it being run by someone who's, the Hollywood director rather than yeah, yeah. the guy who's actually, you know, wanting the team to win. So, you know, there was, there was people who were just dead set on it needs to happen no matter what, which is just not something you that's, want to be involved and, in. And that's not what you want. That's absolutely 
you want to be as far away from that stuff as possible if, yeah. if you can you want you know you want the person you want to be able to pull the plug if yes if you don't think it's safe yeah whatever, and, and that was actually reason. funnily enough and, and and they know they know that now you know post post record i said i said this to them when i was still on, the, on on that road i said to them you know my initial plan was to come here do the testing um you know get get the, the first of the, the, the two payments for this job and if the car wasn't safe go home yeah because that was it and 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 because i expected the car to not be good enough. I'd never heard of the company. I know they have a reputation, so don't get me wrong. Um, but I, you know, ignorantly had never heard of the company. Um, everyone who I deal with, whether it be Michelin or, or, or these other car companies and brands that I deal with were very much like, you know, be careful, yeah. you know what you're doing. So you make your decision, but just want to let you know, we're not involved in this. So I was of the mindset of, okay, great. I'll go do the testing. What harm can it do? I'm on a runway. If I spin off on a runway, I don't think anything can go wrong. It's, it's the road where I'll yeah. perish if something goes wrong. But then the more I drove the car, the more I fell in love with it um, and the people there and how quick and impressive the car was and how stable and safe it was. Mm. Um, so my initial plan was to go there and not expect much and and actually got a lot of confidence in that car. So it, it, that was even more painful why it didn't work out because I wanted this David and Glass story because I got there, drove the car for the first time and thought, this will be great because if this does <laughs> it, this will be amazing. And yeah, I, re- I remember it coming out, just the news breaking and be like, what? Who has done what? And then I was watching I was watching the video and I was like, who's driving this car? <laughs> this person and i was like oh it's ollie what the hell like, and all these people that have been involved and stuff and you're like oh my god this was serious didn't but in in the run-up did you talk to michelin about it yeah so when i say michelin weren't involved they weren't legally allowed to or they didn't legally want to be present and, totally and for all the, all the right reasons <laughs> of course my friends that are at michelin they can give me advice on what the ties can and can't do on their paper yeah. data sheet and i can have friends that know engineering very well and, and my own experience and back knowledge of, of what's safe and what's not and what can and what can't be done mm. um so i did have advice and help but i think after bugatti did their latest run which is obviously incredible what they did albeit only one way and, and technically not a record blah blah blah, blah. when it got to that or whatever, yeah you know i mean it's incredible what they did um, and to be honest, they probably did it in the right way, even though it's not a record. Yeah. They spent 1% of probably the marketing budget. They used their own track. They did it in the safest possible way in a car that, okay, it's not really a road car. It's been all done up and, and roll caged and stripped out and whatever. But they still physically did the speed. They did. Whether it's on completely standard tires or not, reinforced or what, they're still pilot sports. They still did the speed. They still did it. They spent hardly any of the marketing budget and they have what 194 million views on YouTube on that run. Yeah. So they got more press than Koenigsegg without having to spend the money or get a Guinness world record. So they don't, they don't care that it's not a world record. They don't need to care. They won't sell any less cars because of it. And it's almost more frustrating that, you know, as a Koenigsegg or a Tuatara or a Hennessy, it's hard for them because they need to have the Guinness world record because they can't get away with what Bugatti did and sell cars off of it. Whereas Bugatti can. So that's the interesting thing. Yeah, it's true. Um, as a driver, you'd rather do the sheltered yes. 10 mile runway with the trees, with the roll cage in a Bugatti. Great. Still do a quick speed. And then getting back to my point, that's why tire companies 
from that point, from that Bugatti point onwards, have decided the speed of the cars is accelerating quicker than our tyres and the safety of our tyres. So they might be able to do 350 mile an hour, who knows, but they haven't done enough testing to know what happens with that centrifugal force on that tyre, on that canvas, over 250. Um, You know, Bugatti could only do 300 mile an hour for a couple of seconds before something really went wrong on that tire. Um, so they were told as soon as you get to that ma- magic marker, yeah, get you know, back, back off. So that was another reason in the back of my head. Again, we keep coming to reasons why when I heard of the 316 average, I was like, you know, that's, that's a long time at that speed for those tires. Yeah. And I, I, I remember thinking part of me was like, if you, cause presumably everyone had live, live, a live stream of the data. Yeah. So when it was getting to like 320, I was like, well, surely someone would pull the plug at that point. Surely someone would be like, stop, like stop accelerating. If, if that is the speed you're going, like well, 330, is- no one, not, literally no one has a clue what those tires will do. Like, yeah, Whoa. I think they did want to, you know, let's, I don't know whether this speed was a mistake or a malicious attempt at a record. I'll never know let's say it is the the more unfortunate of those two scenarios. If it is that, I don't believe everyone watching also is in on something. No. Um, so that combined with the fact that this common mi- misconception that, that even Tim made the mistake in his videos and others, I had no radio comms. Uh, okay. So okay. even if they wanted to pull the plug, my screen only ever went up to 300 mile an hour in the car, whether it was limited to that, stopped at that, whatever. That was just the only yeah. speed I ever saw when I got to the magic kind of 300 number. So at that point, when I saw 300, I looked back up and just kept counting for another. Mm. I said to myself, I think I said to myself at that time, I'll, I'll count for another three, four, five seconds. And as long as I get no wind of those five seconds, I'll keep going. Yeah. Because I thought to myself, I don't want to be, I don't want this screen to be wrong, ironic, um, and it be 299 and I have to go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, just, I want to get it over with. So that's why I kept going as long as I did. But when I came back and saw how quickly it was accelerating at, at that point, I was just like, you know, I was, I was just like, how can it accelerate so quickly, yeah. you know, at that speed? But even if I take that and apply it to 220 to 260 mile an hour, that, now looking back on it, it's still so impressive how quickly it accelerates so over to Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, because the Regera, I'd say the Regera is much more a stable car, much better on the brakes and much more refined. But it did, um, and it's hard to compare because I don't know what the SS, S, yeah. SSC Chuatara actually did in speed. But if we take a, a much lower figure of, let's say, a 200 mile an hour to 230 acceleration. Yeah. It's much quicker in the Chuatara than it is in the Koenigsegg. But top end, we don't know. We won't know. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely powerful. And the <laughs> Hennessy is going to be interesting as well. The Hennessy is going to be really, really interesting. They, they didn't hold back online, did they, either? I, I've, I have seen nothing about this car. Literally, just like, here it is. And oh, I've seen nothing in the past, either, it. yeah. It looks very well finished, though. From yeah. what I can see online, looks incredibly well finished. But yeah, it's, uh, as much as I don't like doing high speed runs, I also really like doing high speed, <laughs> and I'm very addicted to it. So I really hope this doesn't taint companies like, you know, even if it's just to get back at SSC, it'd be interesting if Hennessy asked me to do it because I'd love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of drama if they do. They're like, mm, let's ask Ollie to do it. That'll be fun. 
<laughs> you never know. You never know. That would be an unusual decision. Possibly. It would be a very unusual decision, but I I want it to not be an unusual decision. You know, I want it. it, it it's cool to have that's a, a cool story. Speed niche, you know, and if that's if that's you know, I've done four Koenigsegg UK speed records before, and then I did the SSC. Um, you know, if it becomes a regular thing, then well, I'll get divorced probably. She'll leave me. But it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be fun. But yeah, I guess you could be you can be that guy that that drives all the really fast stuff that's not got a rocket in it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the reason why I keep being asked back to do things like that is because there's a lot, there's a ton of people who can do it. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's a ton of not people. There's a ton of professional drivers who can do it who would be very good at doing it. I think the difference is, is the, uh, the kind of English, uh, style sensible will yeah. tell you to your face what's wrong and right with the car and when's time to call it quits and when's not. And, that, and that's why SSC got along with me during this period of a year and a bit before we actually first drove mm. the car is cause I, I didn't take any shit and I told them what was wrong with the car, what needs to be changed, the parameters that have to be in place before I even step foot in the thing. And then during the week, I was always the one that called it quits when it was getting too far, when it was like, right, okay, yeah. we need to stop now before we do X, Y, and Z. And that's a big thing for a, for a car company doing a speed record, you know, because they can't have a, a kind of a yeehaw, happy-go-lucky, let's just risk it. Because if it flips and the guy's hurt, then it doesn't, no one wins. No, no, not at all. Because they, I think they've, um, they tried to do another run and I think they will be doing another run um, recently. I think the owner was driving it. That was the plan. Yeah. So Larry, Larry's, um, I'd call him a friend now. I didn't know him until the week of the record, mm. but um, Larry now took ownership of the car post that record attempt because that yeah. was always the plan for, for his contract with that car. You know, he's he, he's very much of the, he's an FXX cliente style yeah. driver. So he knows his cars, uh, not professional driver, but has experience. Yeah. And and he was one of the people who was part of choosing me as the driver. So me and Larry get along well and, and, and you know, he's got a family and there was a lot of risk in him doing the first attempt. So chose not to. And then when the decision came to do the second run and I was asked to do the second run, I told him that I needed a lot of time to think whether I wanted to get back in that car. And, you know, with the production not running for the second attempt, there wasn't going to be production there. It was going to be just with, um, there was just going to be the, excuse me, I've forgotten his name. Who's the YouTuber that was going? American one or a UK? No, guy. from the ring. Oh, What's Misha. Oh, um, yeah, Robert. Misha. Misha, Misha that's Robert. it, Misha. So Misha was going to go, which was great. I was very happy for Misha going there. Um, but there wasn't going to be a big production. There wasn't budget to hire a driver again. And also the baby was on the way and it was even the first time making the decision was hard. So the second time, it just wasn't worth the risk. But then with it being on a very, very open runway and much safer this time, I think Larry was confident enough to say, you know, look, I now own the car. The risk is now fully with me. And also if the ownership now being in his name, if he hires a driver and that driver passes away, there's some liability with the car owner then. So I think it makes much more sense now that Larry, and it's very cool for him if he does get the record. Because then, you know, the car owner owns the record. Which, so it's annoying for me, cool. but how it is. Yeah. I think they, I, I think they ran into, because I think it's a big problem with cooling. Yeah. Because with the heavily turbocharged engine or whatever, just everything just heats up, heat soaks. They don't drive around for very long. 
And then um, I think that's what happened. They lost some cylinders or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally haven't spoken to them throughout yeah. that process. I spoke to Larry, um, but I haven't spoken to the engineers and the guys who are really in the know of what's going on with the car. But um, what speed did they, was it 250 mile an hour? 250 or something. Right. Um, but that was with like a lot less boost. Than- so that's a good sign. I mean, that, that's a good sign. They, they were, from what Larry's saying, it was less boost than what we ran on the record day. And it was still 250 mile an hour and it was on a runway instead of an yeah. infinitely long road. So we still had to brake and slow down with a car that's got no ABS and, and with all respect to Larry with a, a, a less qualified driver yeah. as well. So I was happy they didn't go there and do 140 mile an hour, <laughs> put it that way. I was happy it was at good speed. Um, so that bodes well for doing kind of the 280 that's needed for their Guinness world record. Yeah. And, and that car should be like, it should be able to do it. It's clearly yeah. damn fast. It just yeah. needs to be done right. And I think, I think we'll see it. At some yeah, point. I think we'll see it. And if it can, if it can just squeeze out a 301, then I think, I think all will be <laughs> yeah. forgiven with them. Public, you know, criticis, uh, critics, public owners, everyone. I think their order book will still be full if they can make a 300 mile an hour car. Oh, totally. Totally. Until someone else comes in. Yeah. yeah exactly. Are, are Kenny's going to reappear and bust out a 300? Um, all the things I'm seeing are, uh, that they are going to try and do another run. They probably, and this is me completely surmising and guessing, I probably, if that 316 average was real, I don't think they would have done because they would have no. thought, what's the point? That's a big speed to try and achieve. And I think from what I'm hearing, they're aiming for just over 300 so they can get the world record. But to suddenly get a 316, it would probably would have pushed everyone into the darkness of, oh, let's just not risk that. So I think if, let's say, SSC get a 280 or a 290, then they'll probably still try again, which will be really exciting because then you've got um, Hennessy, Regera, yes. or sorry, Hennessy, Koenigsegg, and SSC. But um, after this last final showdown or whatever you want to call it, I hope they all stop. Yeah, they do 300 and then stop. Yeah. Don't even necessarily need to do 300, but it'd be very, that's a very like monumental number. Yeah. 300 done yeah it's huge um, it is huge i mean planes planes take off half that speed yeah yeah exactly like, it's mental i i had um christian von koenigsegg on the podcast um, oh cool and this was this was literally as i think in the in the gap between me recording the podcast and me publishing it which was like five days later that was when your the record came out. Oh no, we should have like, done it earlier. Oh, that been... But um, I did ask him a little bit about high speed stuff before, like anyway, and what they were going to do with the Jesco and blah 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 blah. And we were talking about the cars and other cars, and he mentioned American cars in in it. And he said, "Well, our main problem is doing all the regulations." He's like, yeah. it, it, "Our car is like we spend about twenty five percent of the time." making it go fast and 75% of the time making yeah. it pass all of the regulations that we have to in Europe, yeah. which I know which way more relaxed in America. The Americans don't have the same, which that in itself, you're like, well, it's a sort of different. It's almost like it's, it's like a same record, but a different record. Yeah. I know what you mean. It is, it is because it's, it's, it's top speed for a road legal car, but the EU regs are so much stricter than the American regs. Um, and I noticed that from some of the interior differences with the car, um, we did that record without a roll cage in the car. 
as well. So you didn't even have an ABS. There's no way well, you would be yes, allowed to have a no car TC, with ABS. Yeah, things that that are needed. Um, um, and even in high speed runs, you technically have to roll cage, but that's in an EU high speed. This was done in America. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, but anyway, you're right. That's more of a safety issue than actual regulation issue. But there's so many things that you that you have to can, and that's what the guys at Koenigsegg were saying when I was sat with them. Um, because we actually did that 250 mile an hour Regera run in Zach's car. Yeah. With the engineer sat next to me. Okay. With the yeah. Laptop, which is just mental. Because he was like, Do you want me in or out of the car? Because obviously, you know, I'm 80 kilograms plus yeah. my equipment, which I don't need to have in the car. You should probably do it without me. And I'm like, Well, do you think it can do it with both of us? Because I'd rather you be here. You can tell me when the battery's overheating. You can yeah. tell me blah, 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 blah. He's like, Well, let's go. Let's test it. And we did the first one. And it was 242. I was like, just stay in, you know, because it probably <laughs> it might go three mile an hour quicker with you out because, yeah. you know, weight's a big factor in top speed. But it's even more impressive when you release the V-Box data and you're just sat exactly. next to me wearing my spare helmet with your laptop, <laughs> you know, number plates flying, ar- flying around the footwell. It was um, pretty crazy. But yeah, while he was sat next to me, he was talking about exactly that, what you've mentioned, which is the EU regs they have to go through are just so strict. And, and everyone knows Koenigsegg do it properly. You know, they're a very, very good company. Yeah, they do. I I love seeing all of these things, and I love the the battle, and I sort of like, I like seeing. Okay, Bugatti are like, damn, we've got to go faster again, or yeah. you know, these people coming out, and in in my eyes, I sort of hold Koenigsegg at the top, but yeah. not not necessarily because they make the fastest. I think they do make the fastest car, but because they make the fastest car, but it, it's just all of the stuff, and also. Their cars are 100% road legal. I yeah. could buy it in the UK and it will do that speed. Whereas a lot of the other ones, not you couldn't do that. Or it might do the speed, but it might not be able to do it four times. Yeah, and row. it might need a team of people and whatever. And, and, and Zach's car had been at a B&B the night before. They went through <laughs> a drive through at McDonald's on the way in. They didn't change the tires over. You know, They had a little once over and a check. And, and the guy who sat next to me is is... Um, yeah, he's flown in to look after the car because it's about to do a quick speed. Yeah. He didn't change anything on the car. All he did is 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 change what can be changed, you know, just like when you put, um, I don't know, a center into drift mode and change yeah. the TC or whatever. It's more he was there to make sure if something went wrong, why it went wrong, X, Y, and Z. So like yeah, you yeah. said, yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive what Koenigsegg have done. I hold them very, very high as, as, as these cars that can go quick, you know, out the box as soon as you buy them. But it will be interesting to see to see the fight and, and whether Bugatti even choose to. For me, I was way more excited to see the Belade or Belide or whatever you call it of Bugatti yeah. in their top speed run because I look at that and I'm like, that looks like a WEC hypercar, and they've not talked yes. about going to hypercar. So yeah, you know exactly if, you, if that was racing next to a Senna GTR and a Valkyrie side by side down the Mulsanne, how cool is that? Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, you, you sort of can. You sort of can. Yeah. Sort of. Can I, you can beep it out. I'll just say fuck a load of times. Really <laughs> We're like an hour cool. and 20 in, you're safe. You have to get through <laughs> the first like 15 minutes, I think, and then you can say whatever you like. But I agree 100%. The, if that Bugatti is a real car ever, I don't know, it's kind of easy and isn't whatever. If that turns up as a WEC car and it races against the Aston and then if Ferrari put an FXX in there or whatever, like, oh, that would be yeah. mega. That is so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, but it just, I mean, when Bugatti showed the designs of that car, 
And I think it wasn't that long after the SSC thing started to die down or mm. come out. I think it was within the same few weeks. Um, it just showed how, and I'm not, I'm not forgiving SSC for anything they did, but it just showed how much more a little company has to prove, which is why it's very impressive what Koenigsegg did, how much more a little company have to prove before people will, you know, believe and buy than Bugatti, who basically released renderings of that car and one show slash model car yeah. with a load of numbers and they released a lap time of three the car isn't even driven on those circuits yet and they're like <laughs> oh we've broken the record at Le Mans and Nürburgring and I'm like yeah and yeah, people yeah. will eat it up they love it and they'll sell a car off of it you know if they were if they were I don't know if they are or not if they were pre-sold at 500 units they'd all be gone I, I remember that. I remember someone saying, oh, we've done like a simulated Nürburgring that time and it's going to do a six or whatever or something, yeah. which is faster than the Porsche. And it's like, sorry, hold on a minute. Yeah. Simulated time versus someone in a car. And because we know the simulated time of the 919 Evo. I can't remember what the, what was the actual time. Six? I don't know. I'd be interesting to see what the disparity was there. But the, the difference between the simulated time and the actual time was like a minute no way it was literally something like that i wow. think it was like a good like 45 seconds or something i don't understand why they don't take the rule of um what is it uh over deliver and under promise under promise yeah. and over deliver because imagine if you said a very impressive nurburgring time and then, and then you ended up beating it by two seconds smashed it yeah exactly yeah you'd be like wow but I mean, I've no doubt that's going to be an amazing quick car. It all makes sense. The downforce figures, the weight figures, the slicks that are on it, blah, 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 blah. But the simulated time thing is, yeah. Yeah, until it's done. And also that is just, it's just like a concept car. It's yeah. not a real production car. sell it or is it just a concept? I think they're just selling one. Right. I don't think they're making six or anything. I may be wrong. I would like to be surprised, but I believe they're only making one. It, it, it frustrated me also about, when the Valkyrie claimed it could, um, and I think the Valkyrie is going to be insanely quick. It's an amazing car. And I genuinely love Aston as a brand and, and Darren, who does all their test driving has done an amazing job with that car, the team, everyone. So this isn't a dig at, at, at anything like that, but I, I don't even know who said the comment, but I know it was said. And I think it was on maybe either JWW's video or someone else's video where someone said that the Valkyrie will be quicker than an LMP2 car. Yeah. Well, first of all, the word LMP2 car has a big difference between if you mean a current LMP2 car, one from 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because it will be an LMP2 car potentially from 15 years ago. I don't think it'll be the last generation's LMP2 car. It will 1 billion percent not be <laughs> the current generation's LMP2 car because the current LMP2 car poll from last year was about four seconds quicker than quicker than um, Anish's LMP1 time in an yeah. Audi before they left the series. There's no way a car with a number plate on road tires, or even tires. on slicks. It was on road tires too. I said, look, even if you put slicks on it, it's not going to be quicker than an LMP2 car. So they do come out with some bold claims. And it's a shame because if I'd never heard that statement, I'd still think the Valkyrie is going to be one of the best freaking road cars ever in history. Yeah. But as soon as that statement said, I'm like, oh, come on. There's no way. <laughs> no. That was it. Point, I, I remember. Point, there was talks of it being as quick as a Formula One car. I'm like, oh. It was when everyone had been in the sim. A couple of people had been in the sim and they were like, okay, but how fast is this? Right. And they were like, oh, well, if you put a, they basically said like a modern supercar 
it's will be like way, 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 way faster. And then they said, oh yeah, it's probably be as quick as or faster than an LMP1 car. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. On road tires. Yeah. Maybe not. But, yeah, but-, but even if it, like, just deliver. Yeah. Under promise, yeah. over, but I guess maybe at this point they're trying to sell them. Yeah, true. It's all a bit of a game, isn't it? It's a bit like when, when, um, when the Senna was meant to be as quick as a GT3 car. Oh, so Chris got together. Um, Chris got together with with, with a friend and, and said, <laughs> whose friend said to Chris, who's a good friend of McLaren's. So I'm surprised he went through with it. Uh, I won't name his name, but he he said to, to Chris Harris, he said, "Well, I actually own a 650s <laughs> GT3 car and a Senna. Should we just do it?" And they went to an RMA track day and just did yeah, it. I remember. Lunch. And it was, I think, six seconds difference or something. Or which still there was it. The McLaren Senna for me on road tires still currently until all these new hypercars come out is seconds quicker than the next closest road car. It yeah. is the quickest road car in the world. Without question, it's unbelievable. Yes, it's a bit numb, but it's the best road car on tyres. An amazing, incredible car. Such a shame it's not worth what it should be. But, yeah, you can't you can't say it's going to be quicker than a GT3 car in slicks because it's not. <laughs> it's not. And and I think most people who hear that statement, okay, I think most people who hear that statement would just be like, wow. But yeah. most people who hear that statement have no idea how fast a GT3 car is or isn't. Yeah. And you could just be, oh, it's going to be... Round Silverstone, three seconds a lap faster than any other production road car. And yeah, everyone would be like, hmm, that's yeah, pretty good. Or oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Because if you look at, I don't know if Evo still do their, their angle C laps and their time chart. They, they do. So that's great because everything's like tenths apart, tenths apart. And then the P1 and it was one second and then the AC mono and then something else. And and that in itself was amazing. And that, I think mono actually, now that I've mentioned it, when they did that time around angle C, they never really overpromised a lap time, but then when they went to Anglesey, they went a second quicker than a McLaren P1. Mm. Then they put the McLaren P1 because McLaren were upset on their slick tires. Or sorry, the McLaren P1 GTR and on slicks. Yeah, yeah. And then the new mono came out, and they went two seconds quicker than the P1 GTR on slicks <laughs> on road tires. Granted, Anglesey is a tiny, twisty track, perfect for a mono. It wouldn't happen at Silverstone. But it's still quite cool to see little companies like that. Like we had, we, we took the, me and Adam Christodoulou that do a bit of driving for them, we took the BAC Mono R mm. to a few trucks recently to try and beat or get close to a McLaren Senna time. Yeah. Um, you know, and it beats it at some tracks and it's not quite there on some other tracks, but, it, you know, it's still in development. We went to Goodwood actually to do a filming day. And it was a filming day. I don't know why I'm doing inverted commas. It was a filming day. <laughs> that I accidentally did two extra laps for at the end of the day when the camera car came in to see what a lap time I could do. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're never allowed to say what it was because good would have strict rules on on Timing. what you're allowed to release and not. And technically, when it's a filming day, because they did that speed week, didn't they? And they had the world, they had the oh, track yes. record to be beaten. Um, so where yeah. was the mono then? It didn't even go around, did it? No. No, it's it's... Goodwood and small car manufacturers sometimes don't always see eye to eye. It's not a good look if a mono goes up a hill and beats Kenny Bracken and McLaren. Yeah. Too much Which money is the unfortunate world of Goodwood, you know, because if you pay 2 million for a stand or if you pay 100 grand for a stand, it makes a big difference on what you're allowed to do because of that. It's still massive money. 
Yeah, exactly. For, for, for BHC Mono to spend six figures on a on a stand at Goodwood, that's their biggest investment they'll ever put in. You know, yeah. they have to sell, you know, because the profit margin on the cars is tiny. They have to sell a lot of cars to make that money back. Um, but it's tiny for them compared to what Porsche will pay. Yeah, and, and a Mono R, for example, going up the hill really fast, I look at it and go, yeah, that's cool. That's what it's yeah. designed to do. I don't think that stops me buying a mclaren or something because you just go yeah. yeah but one's got two seats mate so it's exactly. a different thing yeah one's single seater if you're wealthy enough to buy a mono r because they are very expensive for what they are aren't they they're beautifully made don't get me wrong um but they're very expensive you're not it's not going to be your only car no one's saved up their whole life to buy a mono and sold their toyota yaris and their old 91 Range Rover and you know yeah. got out a second mortgage to buy a Mono R no you've got a Ferrari and a Porsche and yeah I'll buy a Mono R too it's that kind yeah. of person isn't it so it's you're never going to buy one instead of something else what's your favorite road going supercar at the moment okay I'm going to do a couple of eras let's just say current like current current in production current ish give it you know give it take a year or whatever it's quite a generic, boring answer, but I, as in what, I don't know. One that I would own and keep would maybe okay. be like a Ferrari Pista or something. Cause I just, I just love them. Um, if it wasn't current era, then I would have the 458 Speciale over that. Um, Why? If it's a track car that I've got to use on the road, that's road legal GT3 RS every time um, over the GT2 RS. Cause it's just too much power in that car. Um <laughs> But yeah, there's so many. There's too many cars now to make those decisions because the BAC Mono R is mega on a tight, twisty track. Not as fun on a long track. Center's amazing around Silverstone, but then there's a lot of understeer around small tracks in the center, and it's quite yeah. numb. Um, so that's why I'd go more GT3 RS slash Pista around about that kind of mark. You can do everything. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still prefer the Speciali to the pista i say that i haven't driven a pista so but yeah. just from like my being around them and whatnot it's the noise the noise for me i can't yeah i can't and the gears the, the gears are, are too short ratioed and come up too quick in the pista okay. it's it's literally mind-boggling you're having to just flick around on the paddles all day long and there's not quite as much of a motion through the car as there is with a um with a speciale which which i just love that they've always been kind of the, the, the ferrari i love yeah they're very cool Right, well, last time you were on the podcast, I asked you five questions, I think, and I thought we'd revisit a couple of them to see if your thoughts have changed. Okay. Five-car garage, unlimited value, got to fit into your life. Five-car garage, unlimited value. Mm. Mm. You can have race cars. I can have race cars. If you want, yeah. But you've got to... These I'll be your, race cars now. But these are only your only five cars, so you would have to have a daily. Okay. Or a car to drive daily. The thing is, I've never dailyed an RS6, but I don't know if you were the same, but I got my S4 Avant because I couldn't afford an RS6. But that was actually the dream Avant that I wanted. Um, but I don't know if I like the new RS6. I think I like the look of it, but it, it does sound a bit like a hairdryer. Maybe I haven't heard the right ones. And it's massive. And it's massive. So it would still be, am I allowed to say like an, as my daily, a similar-ish to like an RS6 or an RS4, that kind of a... Yeah. Yeah, probably that, or I have the same guilty pleasure as um, Chris Harris, which is I kind of like a G wagon, which which is yeah. which seems I almost seem 
I almost feel guilty saying it, and I don't know why, because there's nothing wrong with it, but I just feel like it shouldn't be a driver's car, but it is. I really like the G-Wagon. Of all the SUVs, I think it's possibly my favourite, but I couldn't see myself buying one. Yeah. Which is a weird string of things to say. No, to, I know what you mean. To finalise with, like, but I just don't see myself as a G-Wagon person. That is... That's yeah. the bit of it. But I think you don't see yourself as a G-Wagon person because of the stigma attached to it due to the other owners. So really, yes. if we just kill off all the other owners, you can have one. Oh, 100%, and I would. <laughs> <laughs> They're so uh, cool. Okay, so I'll have... I've already messed up this game because I've said RS4 slash 6 slash G-Wagon um, <laughs> as my daily. Then I would have a Group C Sauber. Ooh. I would have a Audi R18 e-tron. The Mon car, a 2011 Formula One car, probably Red Bull. Yeah. I don't know. Um, what I'm up to, that's four. Wow. Damn it. And a go kart. Now, uh, what would be my <laughs> fifth one? Maybe a gearbox car or. No, I've got to have the Mustang. And this is going to be. I, I bet these five, I bet the only similar one was the Mustang. I'd still have Eleanor. Um, yeah. Well, do you remember my last five? What were my last I five? I don't remember. I can't right. remember. They were exactly okay. the same, so I'm a very stable character. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were not exactly the same. <laughs> but it is interesting how sometimes just that question like evolves so much on just like a yeah. daily basis when you're – or even just like right now, you're like, I'm locked down. Like, I can't use any of these things. So you're like either some track item or comfy cruise around town or whatever, like who knows. It's so yeah, it's so hard to choose, and 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 cars back in the day used to. I mean, when we were younger, and even before we were born, you'd come out with a couple of cars a year, and now it's like a couple of cars a week. It's like unbelievable. It's just you can't keep up with it. There's a one or uh, a special run of five hundred over five hundred grand cars, like multiple times a year now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. But I think the I think the world is the buying world is slowing down. Definitely. for sure just going like you're making too many cars guys you're not gonna pieces, buy them. pieces are like 20 grand under list now aren't they i, I imagine easily yeah. yeah yeah maybe i'm wrong maybe it's way more but um i thought i wouldn't be surprised if that day. was about right yeah i saw something the other day that i can't believe's finally gone under list as well i can't remember i can't remember what it was now i think someone was trying to sell a, a is it a lamborghini sian sian or something someone was trying to sell oh, that that's one of those crazy yeah body kit lambos not even being delivered yet and someone was or, or maybe there's only a few out, out yet and they're already like you know giving the whole center signs of because it's yeah, a shame yeah. centers are worth nothing now are they compared to what they were yeah but look at them see i don't mind them mm. a lot of people well i am definitely in the minority most people hate them and i hated the launch color whoever did that was an idiot but in all black from above <laughs> As long as you parachute into your car daily from the top of your mansion, then you're fine. But, um, yeah, it's a shame. Is it, I really if, enjoyed if, driving it. I, I haven't driven one on track. I would like to drive one on track. Yeah. And that that changed my opinion of the car quite a lot. I just got out of it and was like, well, this is damn cool. And then I looked at it and was like, yeah, it still looks like shit. But, and it, you just can't, like, because you can have a P1. A P1 looks amazing. P1 is timeless. Don't you? Don't get me wrong, I'm not crazy. The P1 is way better looking, but I still find the Senna, I find it cool and like an attractive, like a, 
like an attractive way in, in the way that Formula One cars look cool, even though they're bending around the regulations sometimes okay. with a slightly yeah. ugly nose in that kind of way. Um, so From yeah. performance the, point of view. Yeah, exactly. Okay, if you can only drive one car for the rest of your life. Mm. And you're allowed a £500 banger on the side. Now, whether you would want to put anyone else in your £500 banger, them's the rules. Sometimes it's times like this where I wish I had a huge chart in front of me of all the cars. There'll be cars I'm not even thinking of that could be like perfect for it. But I'm literally looking around now at like some of my like model cars and stuff. I'm trying oh, to like right. yeah, yeah. find out which one I like. <laughs> um, probably a speciality. I'll just go with that because I love yeah. it. Okay, cool. Most undervalued car at the moment? Senna, probably. How yeah. much is Senna is now? Like 400k? I, d- I doubt it. They but they might low? be. But they're between four and six hundred. Okay. How much is a seven six five LT? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, actually, seven twenties are probably the most undervalued car, aren't they? Oh well, yeah, they're cheap. They're like one thirty something. Yeah, and I, a, I hear not that many. Miles. I hear stories of people with their five seventy that have had them a couple of years that are being offered like sixty k for their car, and I'm like, as in from the dealer to sell for eighty yeah, or yeah. whatever. But that's a great car. I mean, when, when, when the 570 first launched, I did the advert for that car and the 600 and a few of the other McLarens. And I worked closely with McLaren. I think they make amazing cars. It's a shame that they have the issues they do. But when the 570 launched, um, 570 Spider, sorry. So at this point, the 720 already existed. Mm-hmm. 675 I'd driven. I'd driven every single car that, that I'd ever made. The 570 Spider came out and I hadn't even driven the 570 um, for their advert yet. And I was driving this around Barcelona doing filming. I'm like, you do not need to go half the speed on the road. This thing up to, let's say, 150, it was a closed off road, is the same as the 720 and feels it on the road. It has great boot space. It's a soft top. It's an amazing yeah. color. Um, this particular one, the build quality was fine and great on it. I know they can be mixed with others. And I was like, this is an amazing car. And now that they're worth like one third of what it was yeah. that day when I drove it, that's an amazing car for the money. That is. I remember doing, it was um, Supercars Club Arabia trip yeah. and someone had a 570 on it and we did an Autobahn run of sorts and he came back in and he was like, GPS 211. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Mental. Uh, so at, at Le Mans, McLaren hired, um, obviously I was racing at the time, so I wasn't doing any work for them. They hired some of my co-workers and friends, Ollie Milroy and a couple of other guys, they were doing passenger laps for McLaren guests mm. um, as professional drivers who weren't in that particular race. Um, and at the end, they did a filming lap and the 570 was going quicker than the 720 at the end of the straight because it had less drag and it didn't yeah. have that spoiler kit version on, which makes it very scary under the brakes. It's not the best for braking 570. But as a top speed, off-the-shelf, first supercar slash yeah. sports car. No, it's supercar, isn't it? It's not sports Absolutely car. Absolutely a supercar. It's got to be. Yeah, that is mental. And now if you can if you can get one for 60, 70, 80k, then Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like a low spec RS6 or something, isn't it? Yeah. One of them with a warranty, you're like, "Oh wow. This is a yeah. serious serious bit of kit." Yeah, cuz I think there was one point I definitely saw a drag race between a 675 and maybe a 570. And they were like the same speed up until like yeah. 150 or something. Like why does it matter? 
And even the 600 LT, which is one of my favourite McLarens behind the 675, which will always be my favourite, um, behind the P1, which will always be my favourite. Um, <laughs> the 600 LT, uh, which I briefly had for about half a year, that car, I recently did a drag race with some friends. And he had a Pista, a Ventador, SVJ, four-wheel drive, and a few other bits and bobs. Yeah. 600 LT won. It won <laughs> eight out of ten drag races. And I think for his particular video, he really wanted the Pista to win. So the Pista yeah. did win two of them. But the, that 600 LT, everyone assumed it would be third out of the five. Yeah. You know, there was a 1,200 horsepower GTR. That was fifth out of five. Yeah. You know, it's like mad, mad what they can do now. It is mad. And I remember when the 12C came out and it was like 12C versus 458. And then there started to be like videos appear of 12Cs, like walking 458s, just like... Yeah absolutely mullering them and i was like what i don't understand like they're not that much horsepower it's like yeah but they weigh a lot less and they've got a lot more power like yeah yeah they've made such an impressive car and i know they've they've had problems with with reliability and and, and so on and so forth and we won't go into that too much but i love the brand i really really want it to succeed And, and and you know i hope people forget the troubles they have with their road cars now in the same way that people have completely forgotten the fact that Honda was the worst possible engine in F1 ever. And last year was the only engine manufacturer to not have a failure the whole year. And they were the only engine manufacturer to win other than Mercedes. And the same way that McLaren used to have Alonso in last place and now third in the constructors or whatever they were last year. So it's, it's unbelievably amazing what they've done with the F1 team. And I hope they do that with the road car. Yeah, I hope so. Like, like Ferraris, Ferraris 10 years ago. Everyone yeah. like they just fall apart. Yeah. And then now they're pretty much bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. They used to have the old Maserati shitty gearboxes in, didn't they? You change gear, yeah. you wait an hour. <laughs> yeah. Still in the a old five nine nines were like that. Yeah, exactly. You're right, actually. I didn't even think about that. And now they're just they're amazing. Yeah. Have you seen that? Um have you come across one of those new Maseratis yet? MC twenty, is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No, I haven't. I know a friend who's got one in order, but I've not seen one in the flesh. It's it's an I thought it was an interesting it's like an interesting car that I'm not interested in at all. That yeah. sounds weird. Like uh, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for that me. Comes out of me for it. No, but I, it to me, I don't know why I see this when I see the car. I see it as like a a step up for like Alfa Romeo, but like a step down for Maserati. It's like if it was like a new Alfa Romeo supercar, it would be quite cool. And oh, they're stepping into a yeah, slightly yeah. different market. But it, I don't know. I don't see it. It doesn't doesn't attract it doesn't excite me that car i don't know why you would buy that i don't know how much it costs have you any idea how much it costs i feel like it's similar to like 488 it might be a bit less then why would you not buy the ferrari you're gonna buy the ferrari i'm and i know it's a a different type of clientele who buy who buy who buy these cars because because i I, kind of any fancy car you see that i have i'm I'm normally leasing i'm very open about it you know i'm not Mm. unfortunately not doing that well enough yet to, to to own these depreciating cars but I don't see any new car other than the super expensive kind of like, you know, high-end supercars to hypercars upwards where obviously you have to buy them, you don't lease it. And and if you're that wealthy, it doesn't matter anyway. But any new car around that Maserati-style money that comes out, why buy it new? I just don't understand. Why would you buy it new? Because if you've got enough money to buy it new, you're probably not going to keep it for five years plus anyway. So why buy it new instead of lease it? And then if you are going to lease it, buy it secondhand and blah, 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 blah. It's like there's so many new cars coming out that the first-hand market for cars is getting very scary. Like who who are you really targeting? 
it's almost like you either need to make a three million pound regera and you will sell it no problem at all, or you need to make a very, a very affordable hatchback. Because yeah. half of these hatchbacks that I've been testing, like when I do uh, like love cars or something like that, yeah. which we did with ITV, they come with everything: Apple CarPlay, heated yeah. seats, <laughs> yeah. you know, Bluetooth, whatever. Yeah, and they're cheapest chips. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, for what you get compared to back in the day. Yeah. You know, you buy a Ferrari Pista, you have to spend one and a half grand to get Apple CarPlay in, and you come in and they go done. Yeah, it's. I I agree. I look at all of those cars that that bracket of like let's it's a big bracket. Let's say like a a hundred and fifty to three hundred. That yeah. bracket of car and the new cars that come out in that space and me being me, I'm like, well, the only one that's even close to that that I would remotely consider buying would be like a GT3 or GT3 RS or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But like, I look at all the new Ferraris. I quite like the F8. I think it's a cool looking thing. I think it's yeah. a cool looking thing, but I would n- not buy that new. Absolutely yeah. no way. The McLaren, no way in hell would I buy that new. Like, just look at all of those cars and go, I would never buy them new. That seems like the worst decision you could ever make in your life. I'll just buy a two-year-old 720s for 140 yeah. grand. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 as fast or faster than any of these other cars. Great thing, blah blah blah. Like, and you've just saved yourself a hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, and I completely agree with that. And I actually get maybe it's because I'm not paying attention enough to the Ferrari side of the car market because I feel like I know my Porsches now. I didn't used to be a Porsche guy, but I very much am now. I know my old Ferraris. I know my semi-classic modern style Ferraris, like 90s Ferraris. Um, but now, like, I don't know, like, the F... I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference in the the F8 and the SF9. Is the SF90 meant to be more like a LaFerrari expensive uh, quicker car? Or hybrid. is the F8 quicker? The F8 is your turbocharged supercar. The so it's SF- a 488? Yes, it's the next... Four, it's the 488 plus um, okay. reshell um it's literally another evolution of the 488 platform um but the sf90 is the thousand horsepower hybrid right but it but looks it's literally looks like an f8 ish with some hybrid yeah and it, and it weighs the extra 300 kilos that that requires or right because it's weird because you look at a la ferrari and if no one knew anything about cars none of my fiance would be able to look at the la ferrari and go that's the special one isn't it you'd yeah. be like yeah Whereas I don't look at the SF90 and it's beautiful and it and it looks cool and it looks a little bit better than maybe the F8. I don't know, maybe in some angles, whatever. But the F8 to me looks just as, you know, there's not a huge difference. And the, I think that the SF90, it's not, but it's not that laugh level. Right. In price. So it sits in between. It's like four something. See, that's a weird pricing for a, mind you, they just have the client. But it's a production car. It's not limited in any way, shape or form. It's not. It's like an F8. Okay. So it's so is it are they targeting a market? Is it the highest powered production car non-limited Ferrari ever? Yeah. Right. I think it's faster than the LAF, which is actually an older car now, but around Fiorano or whatever. I don't know. I look at that car and go, yes, it's an interesting technology experience or whatever, but it must be eighteen hundred kilos. Yeah. And I just don't really care about driving a high-performance car that's 1,800 kilos. 
I guess if you own a company like Ferrari, you only see revenue spikes when you release and sell new cars. You don't make much money from secondhand. You make a lot of money from parts and from championships, granted, because they, you know, you smash them up, they cost a lot of money. But for them, they must sit down, they must look at all the types of cars they've got, hypercar, production car, limited car, and they go, Where what haven't we done yet? Okay, there's the gap. Now we'll build a car. They don't build yeah. a car first. They find the gap in the market, build a car based on that, because they need to sell money. They yeah. need to sell cars to make money. Yeah. And and people buy it. Like I, I'm I've just said I'm not the person that's going out and buying a new F eight. Although if you look at all the brands, the one to buy new of that price bracket probably is the Ferrari because it holds its value the best. Or did yeah. historically yeah. held their value Historically, the best. definitely. And to be honest, even what's worrying, and I might be wrong in saying this, I might be wrong in saying this, I'm trying to think about back in the day when I was young and karting um, and I would see these expensive cars I see I seem to remember that back in the day in in pretty much most of our lifetime until the kind of YouTube car era of the last kind of five to ten years normally buying a car was a depreciating asset full stop pretty much any car other than your top echelon Ferrari Aston Martin DB5 or whatever it was back in the day they yes you knew even back then you knew you would you would be okay buying those cars now, with pistas even not be going down in value, it seems like we've definitely turned a corner two years ago or a year ago, haven't we, where the appreciating era in the last 10 years, yeah. which was insane for a long time, has gone um, for pretty much every brand. And now, worryingly, it's even happening to the like exclusive cars. Like A pista yeah. shouldn't be down in value because I think even 20 years ago, if you bought a, I don't know, or 15 years ago, if you bought a 599 Scagletti or GT, a 599 GTO, you bought that thinking this won't go down in value, and it didn't. Whereas yeah. now you're buying a Pista and it is going down in but value. But they made how many Pistas? I don't know, yeah. a lot. Did they make 500 hardtops and 500 softtops, or is it more than that? Pistas. Pistas is like thousands. Oh, is it? And thousands and thousands. It's like, I think they made a lot of Speciales. I think they made like 3,000 Speciales. I wouldn't be surprised if there was 5,000 Pistas. The amount of people I know that were offered. Did it was going to be limited? Yeah, it's limited, but like limited to what? Right. They never put a number on it. And I think it was it was this sort of era of like 600 LT, that sort of situation where people are going, this is the special one, but it's kind of the production one now. Yeah, that's what worried me. That's I got out of my 600 LT quite quickly for that because I was stretching myself getting it anyway. Yeah. Um, I got the second or third one in the UK. So I was like, oh, great. And then very quickly, I was like, hmm. You know, being a test driver from McLaren, I knew what was coming as well. So then I was yeah. like, I thought I had the special one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was like, oh, no, it's 500 hard tops and 500 soft tops, not 500 total. Um, and then I think it ended up being even more than that. You know, it ended Well, there was like 100 at Goodwood. <laughs> like press cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, it's yeah. Right, final question. Most interesting car to you at the moment? Most interesting car at the moment. Hmm. It would, you know, if they if they, if they were going to make that Bugatti Belide Belade mm. thing into an FXX style track car, even if it doesn't go in WC, even if it's going to, even if they make a few of them, so I can see them on track and and take someone out to dinner and drug them and use the car. That would be the one 
I want to drive. It so is. I'm, I'm going to stick to that one. Even if there's only one made, I need to get my bum in that but car. Someone's driving that car. I think like yeah. it's going to go, it will appear on a track, probably a completely private track day, but you never know. You might get invited. So, Maybe uh, not to Bugatti. I've not I've not been involved in any Bugatti stuff yet, but that no, would but be it'll cool. be an owner. It won't be them, will it? Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So you need to find out who's bought it. Need to get Larry to buy it. He, he's got a lot of cool FXX style <laughs> cars. I'll tell him, look, well done on the SSC record, but you need to buy this Bugatti now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not as fast as you thought it was, but like, yeah. get this car can do a three fourteen around Le Mans apparently. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, and you can do a three sixteen in it, so it's fine. Exactly. You only need to be a couple of seconds off pro pace, and you'll yeah. be going very fast. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's been it's fun. Be, it's been good to good to catch up and i will hopefully see you at out and about at some point when we're all allowed out and yeah whatever. hopefully we can get back on a track soon and uh, i still need to see the uh not necessarily on track but just in person i still need to see the f40 at some point one day never seen it oh well that's totally doable yeah that's totally doable at some point it's not at home at the moment but cool. i'm sure it will be one of the things i've said to myself this year is get out and use it or get rid of it about all the cars. <laughs> yeah. So. Go for use it. Go for use it for yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll all aim to do that. But anyway, good to see you. Thanks very much. You too. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 